We are The Purposeful Project. We help entrepreneurs for free. Welcome to today's pep talk, where we'll take just 20 minutes to interview leading experts from around the world who share actionable know-how, insights and life lessons. To hear these incredible insights, follow us on Spotify, Apple Music or anywhere you listen to podcasts, or you can simply visit thepurposefulproject.com, sign up to our mailing list and get the podcast in your inbox every single week. Hi everybody, welcome to today's podcast. I'm honoured to have Lucy joining us. Lucy, welcome to the podcast. Hi Simon, thanks for having me. Perhaps we could start off by you kindly telling the audience a little bit about who you are and what you do. Yeah, sure. No worries. So uh, my name is Lucy Cohen and I'm one of the co-founders of Mazuma. Um, we are we were the UK's first um, subscription-based accountancy service. Um, founded the company in 2006 when I was 23. So I'll let you do the sums of um, how old I am. And yeah, so we've been going for uh, 15 years next month. Um, we're now the UK's largest provider of subscription, subscription-based accounting services and we specialise in small and micro businesses so I've been on the journey started a business with a hundred pound in my spare bedroom with my best friend and um, now we're operating all across the UK I think we've got 35 um, in the team at the moment Um, we've just finished developing our own technology so it's it's been a journey it's been a ride Um, unbelievable and um, I I personally always say on this podcast show you've got to know your weaknesses my weaknesses is accounts I always have Ah. to get a good accountant or someone in to help me get that bit right absolutely it's um yeah crucial absolutely crucial now I I just I mean did you did you say 22 when you started this 23 yeah a baby so so I mean just for my listeners out there that are 23 and and thinking of starting a business how how did that happen oh I think a combination of factors um i'm an incredibly stubborn person um so that's a big factor in me kind of doing that um i've never been somebody who uh, doesn't enjoy the autonomy of being able to solve problems so when i was working for other people um especially in big kind of tall organizations um I find it really frustrating if I could see a good answer to a, a problem and I wasn't able to implement it, although too many hoops to jump through. I just wanted that autonomy to be able to do that. And I, I could see a problem. You know, I come from my big rebellion in life was getting a proper job. Um, my family are all dancers, musicians, creatives, artists, um, and amazing at what they do, but not so great at the accounts and tax side of things. I mean, why would they be? You know, it's, you train for what, seven years to be an accountant. Um, so I, it was, um, I just saw a problem and I thought of a way to fix it. And then I looked around and thought, I can't believe no one else is doing this. Um, and ignored all the advice I was given and did it anyway. I, I love it. And that's the spirit, I think, of a lot of our listeners too. Uh, I, again, I just, I just want to un- kind of I don't, capture that spirit you have at 23, put it in a bottle and, and give it to other people. Was it, was it an obvious choice? Was, was it, there was just no other alternative? You didn't consider, you know, you say a job. I mean, you learned, you've learned a trade, 23 years old. How many jobs have you had before you started your business? Yeah, so I, I mean, I, um, I initially I um, started working in film and TV. So I got a place at Exeter University to study drama, um, and I realised I it kind of wasn't for me. I didn't know what I wanted to do. I worked in film and TV for a year, um, and I hated it. It was the thing I thought I kind of maybe wanted to do, and I absolutely hated it. It was miserable, uh, and I realised when I was nineteen then that I 
I didn't have a path. So I went to see a careers advisor who um, the advice they gave me was do something that you can do for your day and um, leave at five o'clock, um, which seems quite retro advice now the, the world's moved on. But that kind of resonated. I was like, yeah, I, I'm quite logical. Um, I've always been good in education. So yeah, I could, I could learn to be an accountant. And I just waltzed over to the nearest um, hotel and uh, said, have you got any jobs in accounts? And as it turned out, there was a job in accounts. So I started off there and kind of progressed quite quickly as I took my qualifications. Um, and I ended up working for Cardiff Council doing a big software implementation, which I loved because it was all the, all the, all the jollies that I, I enjoy getting, you know, solving problems, um, being, um, you know, be, being part of a, a, a kind of dynamic team. Um, and then I came to the end of my secondment and kind of, I think everything kind of came together and I was due to go back to kind of a more boring job in finance and take a salary drop and there was nowhere else for me to progress. And I'd already kind of started thinking I wanted to do things myself. Um, so I kind of just made the leap. Um, at, you know, looking back at it, it was crazy. I, I didn't, I really had no idea how to run a business. Absolutely none whatsoever. I'd never run a business before. Uh, and I just kind of hurled myself into it. Um, and, and here we are, I guess. It, it's, um, it was a real baptism of fire. I learned a lot. <laughs> and the world was a very different place back then. You know, the internet wasn't what it was. Social media wasn't there. Um, it was much harder to learn quickly. Um, so yeah, it was a, it was a real, uh, it, a very steep learning curve. You see, you hear so often, the advice, and, and I, I, because I invest in a lot of entrepreneurs, I, I hear that, you know, this is what they tell me. They say, my parents or my family have said, um, don't, uh, go get experience first. Don't just start mm. something. You need experience. And, yeah. and what I love about your story, because it, it resonates with my p own path too, is that whole concept that, you know, you can learn, just go and do it and you'll learn along the way. N now, you know, just reflecting on that kind of philosophy, do you think it's true? Do I mean, how, how would you advise you know, 23-year-old you now? I, do you know what? I probably wouldn't do anything differently, um, mainly because we were disruptive. So the way that um, we uh, operate our service had never been done at that time. So, And we were talking, you know, a subscription-based service in 2006 just wasn't a thing. You know, 2008, Love Films started doing their kind of DVDs by post. Um, 2006, no one was doing subscription-based services. Fixed fees in accountancy no one did it. It wasn't a thing. It was massively against the grain. And um, had I gone out to try and get experience, I would not have had experience of what we were actually doing. We were a disruptor in the industry. We were industry leading. And everyone told us you know, the, the biggest question we have was, well, why isn't anyone else doing this? If it's so great, why isn't anyone else doing it? And I was like, well, because they're all daft. I, just, <laughs> I, have no, I have no other. That should be a T-shirt, by the way, because they're all daft. I like that. Because they're all daft. I don't know why. Accountants typically um, are not an industry known for the kind of innovation um, or being fans of change. Um, and obviously, I am. I, I love innovation. I love change. I, I think I probably advise myself to do... In fact, I probably advise myself to you know, not take to heart when people question it, to, to, to kind of be a bit firmer in my belief, because that's the one thing that gets you through is I knew in my heart of hearts that I had something good, and I knew in my heart of hearts that it would work um it was just i was having to overcome some objections from a archaic and stereotypically male dominated industry that um i yeah i had to break through those barriers let's talk about that for a minute i mean battling against gender stereotypes i, I guess you 
you sounds like you've been doing that for 15 years. How, 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 how do you uh, fight back, I guess? Oh, yeah, fighting gender stereotypes. Um, yeah, do you know what? I'm going to maybe give a bit of a, a backstory here. Um, I come from um, a, a kind of a very a family full of strong women, um, and I went to an all-girls school, and it kind of hadn't occurred to me that my gender was a, a big deal. You know, I came from a place where I'd been you know, always just led to believe I could do anything that I wanted to do, um, that I could, any I, any path I chose was open to me, um, and. Yeah, again, it, the education system I had, you know, that, that was very much the message as well. So when I started my business at 23, and again, young as well, so you're kind of overcoming that, especially in professional services, you know, young people say, you know, seem to think means inexperienced, um, and, and it doesn't necessarily. I'd already had, I'd been working since I was 19 in the industry. I already had years of experience and uh, quite high level kind of implementing projects. So I, you know, I, I was more than qualified to do it, um, but that's a it's an assumption it's a stereotype you're young you're inexperienced um it, it, i went to my first networking event because someone said you gotta go to a networking event that's how you meet people i was like great lovely so off i went with my um awful business cards one-sided terrible cheap looking business cards off i went and um the one of the first people i met was a guy and he was like oh so are you working for your dad's company then <laughs> and i was like what and he's like yeah you, you work for your dad's company and i was like no and he was like, oh, right, okay, then. So you like, are you in like PR or you're a PA or something? And I was like, no, I'm the founder of this company. And it just kind of in that moment, it was like a, a real light bulb moment, a real epiphany. I was like, oh, I'm a woman. This is going to be a thing. Um, and then, of course, once you notice it, once you see it once, you start noticing it more and more. And I started noticing that kind of male counterparts in similar or kind of uh, periphery industries were just finding it a lot easier to, to kind of open doors or to get invited places. I've never been invited on a golf day. Not once in my 15-year career um, have I been invited on a golf day. But I know plenty of less qualified men who have and get to do that kind of networking. Um, so, and they're these cliches, but they exist exist and and they're real and you just you know i are you in, in terms of kind of breaking those barriers down i think as a as a woman in a male dominated space you kind of have to be you'll you'll be criticized more harshly um for the same mistakes because the number of you are fewer so it looks that much more obvious and um, it's called uh, the glass cliff edge which we see kind of we see it in female politicians we see it in female ceos interestingly c-suites there's this research that says that um in the c-suite of big companies they tend to only hire women into the c-suite when the company's already going downhill and they tend not to hire them at the pinnacle which is a really interesting piece of research so failure tends to get attributed to women because of that factor um there's probably some great psychology research behind that that um, somebody far more intelligent than me can kind of dig into. Um, but yeah, you, you, you kind of have to be undeniable. Um, you're judged more harshly and you have to be absolutely undeniable um, and you have to learn to call people up on it. You have to, when, when those microaggressions happen and those little things happen, you have to stop. And one of my favorite tactics, if someone tells a, a, you know, a sexist joke or something, I just stand there and go, I don't get it. I don't understand. And they sort of look at me, I'm like, I don't, I don't understand the joke, can you explain it to me? And when you force someone to explain that thing they've just done, they're like, oh, I'm so, I'm so sorry. I was like, yeah, okay, let's not do that again then. Awesome. You, can be not, you, can, you can be fun about the whole thing, but you are dealing with a really serious issue. Mm, no, it's, I, I mean, I think it's, uh, it, it's it, it, for me, I, I find it quite 
I guess, difficult to talk about this subject because I'm, I, you know, one of those things where you always feel, you feel like you might say something wrong or you yeah. might uh, ask the wrong question or say the wrong thing yourself. You get almost paranoid. But I, I think it needs to be talked about more. I can, I can say an experience I've had. I, I decided when my son was born three and a half years ago to be a full-time father. And it was really interesting to me. I think mm. it was the first time I had an experience around uh, a, a gender stereotypes on the male side because I, I just was shocked mm. by how many people said to me, why would you do that? That, that you know, that, that your child needs a mother, not you. Um, and and you know you how much Oof. money you you know how much money are you giving up by not going to work? You know, like there was, there was all this kind of like um, I, I was and these are people that I you know I I, I respected and and you know in, yeah. in successful people and I was kind of shocked to, even to the point where they're like Simon, you just you just want to go to work. You know, that's what you're meant to be doing. You know, like I'm like why shouldn't I be a full time father? What's actually, yeah, why, why, shouldn't you? why should it be only my wife? And even today, now my wife and I, my, our son is three and a half. We have three days a week each where we work. So I, I look after yeah. my son three days a week and, and, and she looks after him three days a week. We co-parent. But people yeah. think we're odd. Yeah. You know, it, and, and, and that, that's wrong, I think. Oh, yeah. No, it's absolutely wrong. And I think that it's a really interesting example of how these gender stereotypes are so deeply ingrained in what we do. It's one of the, the biggest barriers to women kind of um, entering the C-suite is the expectation that parental care will be done by them. Women are still taking up 75% of the domestic load in um, terms of family caring and, and, and kind of uh, in heterosexual relationships. Um, and it's really interesting. I've been saying for probably 10 years now that the, the solution to this problem would be to have a more kind of Nordic style system and to have um, statutory equal parentally for both parents. So whatever one parent takes, the other parent takes and it's funded fully. Um, and then there's no, there's no financial reason for anyone to make a decision based on that. You can make a decision based on um, what's right for you, you as a family and your child has the benefit of both you know, learning from both parents and both parents who feel valued, both parents who have, because being a parent, I, I'm, not, I'm not a parent myself, apart from to a, a dog. Um, but you know, being a, being a parent is um, incredibly rewarding. Um, but also, it's very important that you have an identity and purpose outside of parenthood because that gives you gives you and your family this kind of fully rounded. Um, experience and 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 that's how we raise the next generation of fully rounded kind of um neutral uh people where we don't see these kind of heavily ingrained biases um but yeah and it, 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 it's uh, you've done uh, you know, uh, the right thing it shouldn't be hailed we shouldn't have to hail it up as wow this is so amazing you've done this thing it should just be yeah cool that's what everyone's doing mm. but you know more power to you i think it's fantastic it, it is interesting as well uh, because i think uh, th who you surround yourself with can accidentally influence you. So, so my my son said recently, "Oh, I I, I like pink." I asked him what his favorite mm. color was, and he says he likes pink. And uh, and then my mother's like, "That that's weird. You shouldn't. You know, you're a boy." And I, you know, literally having to stop my own mother from you know her own prejudices. It's not her fault. I think she must yeah. have been programmed wrong as well. You know that that why if he likes pink, he likes pink. You know, like it, it's really interesting how this gets pre-programmed. In, into things i mean i don't know um without being too controversial like jordan peterson whether you know you, you watch any of his stuff what, what's, what's your take on yeah, his view yeah, on the I world mean, uh, uh, predictably i'm not yeah predict maybe predictably i'm 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 not a fan of jordan peterson um i think that 
you know, I'm sure that there are people who take things that he says, um, you find them motivational. Um, I know he does a lot of stuff around kind of like you know, rules for life and all that you know, things in getting up and getting motivated. But I think some of the um, messaging he puts out around uh, gender stereotypes is very dangerous. Um, and I think that... Um, I also have the issue with somebody as highly educated as him who can be uh, uh, repeatedly taken out of context. Um, I am very rarely taken out of context because I know the power of my words and you can't tell me that somebody in that level of education doesn't know the power of words. So you have to make an assumption that if he continues to allow himself to be taken out of context, mm. there is a reason for that. Um, I, yeah, I'm not a huge fan. Obviously, I respect people who want to listen to that and who, who take something out of it. I've got friends who, who, who love Jordan Peterson, um, but I think his messaging around gender stereotypes, you know, and saying things like you know, women over 30, there's something wrong with women of 30 who don't want children and stuff mm. like that i think we're perpetuating a very a very dangerous set of, of stereotypes there which as you said you feed into things like boys shouldn't like pink or um girls shouldn't be um working construction and the things like that and it's kind of ask, this kind of idea of innate masculinity or femininity um which you know yeah, it's rubbish. <laughs> I'm going to say yeah. it's absolute rubbish yeah. because um, we 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 know that there's no there's no there's no research that says that women are, are better at rearing children. It's just that that role is pushed onto them, um, and so therefore, by experience, you talked earlier about getting experience of doing something. When you do something repeatedly, you become good at it. And if you don't do it repeatedly, you're not as adept. And that's that's what happens in in uh, raising kids and it's what happens in roles in companies um yep. yeah it's interesting i mean i think um it might again just drawing on my own experiences it's it's there is a personality profile it's got nothing to do with male or female my wife is good at certain things and i'm good at certain things and we divide it based on personality as opposed to mm -hmm. divide it based on gender and i think yeah. i think that's the key right so uh, yeah uh, my my wife I mean, I know one of the gender biases would be like cooking, for example. My wife actually loves to cook. So it, it's more that's the choice, uh, you know, that she, she... I like to sing lullabies to my son to help him go to sleep. So, you know, mm -hmm. I take on that role. And uh, yeah. I like to talk. So, you know, yeah. I think it's good. And, and actually, this, uh, circling back to your business, I know you're the co-founder. Co um, do you want to share yes. anything with our audience about how to make a co-founder relationship work? How did you, how did you uh, make your co-founder relationship work? Yeah, so um, my co-founder is uh, Sophie Hughes. Uh, she's actually my best friend. We've known each other since we were 11. So we've got a lot of history there. And we sort of joke that if you can get through puberty together, you can probably run a business together. Um, <laughs> so, so um, and all the drama of your teenage years. Um, but no, uh, we make it work by being very different people. You know, we have very different skill sets. I'm, um, I'm, more, I, I'm more the, obviously, family background, I'm more the creative one. Um, I'm a kind of starter inspirer um i can start a project but i am um, don't ask me to finish a project useless like i'll get i'll get distracted by the next shiny thing and i'll have moved on um so my skill set is absolutely uh, not to do that but she's much more methodical measured analytical than i am um and it works really well I, my mum um growing up used to describe us as opposite sides of the same coin and that's very much how we operate the business is she doesn't kind of interfere in what what i'm doing and i don't interfere what she's doing to the point where this morning we've been um, doing some refinancing of a, of a building we own. I was like, oh, has that mortgage gone through yet? And um, I've just <laughs> just left her to it. Um, and likewise with marketing budgets and plans, I know my budget for the year. She just lets me get on with it. You know, um, 
you, uh, knowing that I'm going to make the right decisions uh, based on the information in front of me. Um, we're both very data driven, so we don't go off. We go off. Um, I'll go off a gut feeling, but then I'll prove the gut feeling. So I'm like, my gut is that this isn't working. And then I'll go and look at some data and either realize that I've had my opinion swayed by some biases. So kind of things like, um, oh, you know, loads of people are complaining about this new widget on the website. And I'm like, mm, are loads of people complaining? Or does it feel like lots of people are complaining? If two out of 3,000 customers has complained, that's not a lot of people. But if the same two customers are very loudly complaining, it feels like more. So that's the sort of thing we look at with data as well. But yeah, we just... We know we've both got the same end goal for different reasons. So we both want to at some point exit the company, but for very different reasons. Um, and um, we approach things in a, in a different matter, but to reach the same end goal. And, and I think that's why it works. Mm. There's so many learnings you've just uh, kind of mentioned there. I, I hope my audience don't miss. I mean, I think the co-founder of Dynamic of having what I hear is the same moral code, same general core, but very different skill sets and then respecting each other to carry out those core uh, skill sets is is kind of crucial to the co-founder dynamic and then and then you said something else that i find fascinating which is the kind of gut meets data out of interest uh, how often is your gut right uh, quite a lot yeah most of the time <laughs> mm. so that that's interesting i mean gut instinct is something people always i, I always go on my gut instinct and and then I've always had good accountants as partners and they were like, well, let me just double check that. Um, and often the data does say something different to your point about like, you know, people are complaining. In reality, the data says that 0.01% of people are complaining and the rest of the people are happy, right? Yeah. So it's really interesting to check with the data on your gut. I think that's a really smart way of thinking about it. Yeah, always, always, always check the data. But, and also like we... You know, it's 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 another kind of business cliche, but you can you can you can manage what you measure. So if if uh, we did it recently with um, uh, telephone calls, so our teams were saying, oh, we're getting loads of calls and it's taking up loads of time and all the rest of it. And I was like, all right, well, I hear you. Um, I understand why that's a problem. Let's have a look at it. So let's let's like, actually let's get a system in. We put a very uh, expensive fancy system in that measured exactly the calls who were going how long they took blah 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 that kind of thing and it actually turned out that um calls were getting sent to the wrong places so they weren't ha actually having to take calls but they were having to transfer them to somebody else which interrupted their, their workflow and made it feel like they're being interrupted by the phone constantly so we just put in um yeah we we, we looked at it uh, we put in a better system for dealing with it and the problem's gone um so yeah that data is so important in making the right decisions mm. Well, look, uh, I could talk to you forever. You've got so much knowledge around entrepreneurship. I, I literally, please come back, Lucy, and, and I'd like to talk about other subjects with you, if that's okay. Really love... Yeah, I'd love to. Really love your insights. And and, and anybody that's been listening that, that frankly wants a really good account service, then links are below, everybody. I'm going to sign up. I uh, hope my accountant's <laughs> not listening because I'm, I'm, I'm going to sign up, Lucy. I really, really love what you're doing. And uh, quite a few questions on Twitter and, and TikTok and so on. One quick one. Someone was just asking how you decided on your price structure. How, how, how do you decide on price? Uh, a, a bit of uh, suck it and see, if I'm honest. Um, when we started off, had no idea, really low-balled it, got some nightmare clients because it was too cheap and, and they, went, they went based on price. Your price needs to be enough to um, make sure that people value your service. So it's not so cheap they wouldn't notice if they weren't paying it and that they don't value what you do because price is still a metric in terms of having that value, um, but not so expensive that you're alienating your target market. Um, so it's a case of knowing what the market can take 
picking a price that reflects the service you give. We're not a premium service. I say that we're, we're not a premium service. We're a more value-based service. If you want that kind of meeting every month, loads of fancy graphs, um, invitations to networking events and take us taking you out to dinner, it's not going to happen with us. Um, but we are, we describe ourselves, we're like Netflix. You know, Netflix isn't going to the cinema, but you can have it in your house and it's really convenient and it's a lot cheaper. So that's kind of how we sort of describe it. It's all about making it, making it work for who you're selling to, what their tolerances are, uh, and then, um, and also making it work for you. You know, if you're pricing too low, you're not going to make a profit. You're not making any money and your business will not serve you in any way. Um, it won't make you happy and it won't make you rich. So, so <laughs> you need you to figure out one that is uh, somewhere that meets your needs personally as well. You're getting a lot of compliments online right now about your website and, and your oh, philosophy. Thanks, getting a lot of love and, and well-deserved. But Lucy, thanks for taking time out to share your insights and story with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. I look forward to having you back on. Yeah, thank you so much, Simon. It's been a blast. I can't believe how quickly that went. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Pep Talk today, powered by The Purposeful Project. If you found it interesting, please give us a review and follow us. In addition, you can sign up to our website and get loads more free entrepreneur knowledge as well as get access to Pep Talk and the Purposeful Project podcast direct in your inbox every week.